Hello and welcome to Breaking Ground, real estate insights from Eisner Amper. I'm your host today, Michael Morris, director at Eisner Amper. And with us is Garrick Brown, Vice President of Retail Research at Cushman & Wakefield. Garrick is one of the leading retail real estate analysts in the United States, and he speaks frequently at industry events and is regularly quoted in Retail Matters. During today's episode, we'll be discussing the challenges and opportunities that will play out as the economy reopens, as well as what we can anticipate in post-pandemic world. Garrick, thanks for joining me today for the podcast. Mike, it's a great pleasure to be back. Hey, you delivered a very informative presentation last week at our Real Estate Principles series, and I'm greatly appreciative of it. Can you begin and, and can you explain the current status of retail? Well, we, we've never seen anything even remotely close to this as far as the challenge. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, these are unprecedented extremely difficult times but you know retail well first off i should clarify retail is not monolithic uh we we've seen all the stories in the past retail apocalypse so forth but really there were sectors that were doing great there were sectors that were muddling through and there were sectors that were really uh quite challenged before this and the challenge of covid you know certainly with the lockdowns what what we've seen is everyone's facing a challenge. Uh, even even the grocery and drugstore guys, the April sales came out and their numbers are a little bit down. And that's with their, their ability to remain open. Um, but if you were already challenged going into this, uh, you know, it's, it's just like the way the disease preys on those of us who are vulnerable, uh, vulnerable as far as our health circumstance. Uh, we have whole sectors that are really going to get hit hard. Um, Thirty, about thirty-five percent of apparel and department store players were already showing signs of financial distress before this, and and we've already started to see a slew of bankruptcies. And you know that's that's not exactly new news. It's just that this has accelerated the timeline, and it took away any sort of. Uh, window of opportunity for struggling chains to pivot, to get their uh, their balance sheets in order, to really try to find relevance in this, this new age where uh, e-commerce is gobbling up market share, as are the discounters and off-price. But, but I think what's what's really telling is, is that if I had to name the two sectors where the biggest challenges are, there was apparel in department stores, no surprise there. But then on the flip side of the equation, something that was growing steadily each year, incredibly popular with consumers, and that would be food, beverage, and entertainment. And um, that vulnerability has more to do with the business model. Um, it doesn't matter if you're Thomas Keller or if you're the mom and pop pizza place. The business model for restaurants typically uh, is such a tight margin business that if if, if you have a 10% profit margin on your gross sales, you're a rock star. And, uh, you know, the, the challenge going into this, uh, the National Restaurant Association teamed with some pollsters. They asked restaurateurs themselves, could you survive a one-month lockdown, a three-month lockdown, a six-month? 
in a one month, 70% of the operators said, yeah, I'll, I'll get through. In fact, it was about 75%. At three months, it started to move a lot closer to 50-50. And at six months, only 15% said they could make it through. And uh, if you're a restaurant business and you're not a, a fast f- food a QSR where 70% of your sales were already a drive through window or people take taking it home. Uh, fine dining, for example, where less than 5% of the revenues came from that kind of activity. They're getting clobbered. And, and as we reopen the, the issue of occupancy limits, well, your, your rent is based on full capacity, uh, seating. So it's, it's one thing to have no revenues for two months, but picture no revenues for two months and say the potential of half revenues. And we don't know for how long, um, we're, we're at, on the virus's timetable for that. So the devastation's going to be pretty, uh, pretty dire, um, for, for, for restaurants. I mean, that will rebuild and that's where there'll be immense opportunities, but it's going to be an awful lot of pain beforehand. Uh, and that's that's the hard part of where we're at. I noticed a number of cities are looking to block off streets and create large eating areas. Obviously, it depends on your weather conditions. So here in California, it's a lot different than, uh, than Minnesota. But uh, I thought that was a great concept. And uh, I heard it. It started in Seattle, and it's already down the coast now in, in many markets. Berkeley, Portland, uh, the calls I'm on where I get to speak to economic development or city planner, planning types, I, I keep reinforcing with them, you, you, you're going to have this drastic drop-off that's worse than it is in tax revenues if, if you can't find creative ways like opening up street fair type situations while practicing social distancing, fast tracking, any sort of zoning or permitting changes to allow uh, restaurants to cut holes in their in their door or windows so they can actually do walk up takeout, which uh, not a lot of players have been able to do. And, and you know, uh, I, I'm, I used to live in Northern California, so I know how hard it was to ever get a drive-through done in places like Marin or Napa. But um, the reality is that this might be with us if you really listen to what the scientists and doctors are saying, as opposed to the politicians. We're probably looking at 18 months to 24 months before either there's herd immunity or we have an effective tested vaccine uh, that's been mass produced to the level where they can get it out to the public and make a difference. So it's really critical that, um, you know, this is one of those rare circumstances where tenants, landlords, lenders, suppliers, city government, they're all in the same boat. Um, you know, the, the ability though to work together creatively and collaboratively is, it's kind of what keeps me up at night because um, it's one thing to uh, to be forward thinking and uh, do a rent abatement or a blend and extend or uh, just flat out forgiveness for a, a treasured tenant for two months. What happens if they come back to you and they need half rent for 18 more? That's the hard part. It is. It is. 
shifting gears, where there's pain, there's opportunities. What type of retail investments you see out there for investment groups to take advantage of or have an opportunity to look at? in the market? Well, I, I would say there's a, there's a couple. On, on the real estate side, we haven't seen a single class A mall trade in five years. If you wanted to buy the mall, you had to buy the operator. And that's the activity that we've seen. Simon in the process of buying Taubman, uh, uh, Unibal Radomko bought Westfield, Brookfield bought GGP. Um, I, I, I'm convinced that you are going to see Class A and Trophy Centers coming to market. They'll have a little hair on them uh, simply because, you know, before this, Class A and, and B-plus mall owners wanted to get department store back, uh, space back, because a, a substantial part of it they didn't even own. It was owned by the retailer, so they would buy it, redevelop it for entertainment, food, beverage, uh, go add mixed use elements from hotels to medical office to apartments. Well, those players are going to need to raise capital. And suddenly you're going to see some opportunities that we just haven't seen. And the class A malls are going to feel pain like every other mall, but they're going to come back. Um, You're going to start to see that on the market. Uh, I, I think you will see, to a lesser degree, outdoor Class A strip as well. Those landlords got between 70 and 80% of their rent for April, and the inverse was true for malls. So outdoor centers, it's a different dynamic. You have a lot of those essential needs retailers that are generally doing okay. Uh, and then you also have retailers that can... Uh, have a little bit more of a business stream using buy online, pick up and store, pick up curbside, BOPUS. But you're going to see the challenge really for those guys with uh, a lot of inline space that'll come back from smaller businesses. But all of this stress, and we're already seeing the default rate skyrocket, uh, is going to create some opportunities for some really great shopping centers that yeah, they might have a big spike in vacancy, uh, but if it's a Class A center uh, and you can make those numbers work, you're going to be able to get properties that were really difficult to get before. You know, with that in mind, just and not to interrupt, but just to kind of complement what you're saying, what kind of innovations are you going to see in the retail space that that these mall owners and these investment groups are going to come into play around around retail? Well, the big challenge is whether or not retailers themselves can afford some of these innovations that they need. And and the, and the question that gets asked is, does this have legs after COVID or is this just something to get us through right now? Uh, a, a good example would be uh, augmented reality magic mirrors, which cosmetics, Ulta and Sephora were white hot. The whole sector was doing great before this. Those both both those players have great balance sheets. They're taking some lumps, but they'll get through. Uh, how do you deal with allowing people to try makeup on? Much less, you know, you know, in in, in a pandemic era, you know, I mean, there's there's some obvious things that are going to be 
horribly challenged. We, we've already seen, you know, buffet concepts are probably never going to reopen. We already saw soup plantation, uh, their parent go down. But Magic Mirrors is, is, is a technology that already was out there. It was kind of a cool gadgety thing. And you already, we already are seeing Ulta and Sephora start to put those in their stores. And plus the, the software for those, they can actually put on online, which, which can create a better online shopping experience, experience for the cosmetics folks. Um, you know, a lot of different technical capabilities are out there, whether it's service robots, janitorial robots, stocking robots. But in the past, these were all kind of these uh, little experiments that the, 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 the biggest could do, the, the Walmarts, the Krogers, the Targets. That's, that's going to be a challenge with some of the tech stuff that's coming down the pike. Uh, there, there is some, inter- there's some interesting grassroots things coming up with social media. There's a new thing that's come out of China and it's called squad shopping. Uh, there's only a few apps available in the U S and from what I've tried, it's just not there yet. But if you look at an app like house party and when it came along, you almost feel like this was designed for these circumstances. Imagine if you had an app like that, where you could go shopping with your friends, either during this period or after in the new, you know, in the post COVID world, the idea that you could take a friend from across the country shopping for their birthday gift at their favorite store virtually. This is stuff that uh, is in in its infancy. It's almost still idea stage in the States. I think you'll see a lot of investment in tech to come up with some really cool gadgetry like that. Um, our, our big challenge, though, is, is that so many of the retailers out there that really need that innovation the most are the ones on my bankruptcy watch list, and they are struggling. And after last week, that's a big list. Last question. How do you think it's going to affect the municipalities and the way they look at land use, taxation, zoning, and most importantly, their willingness to work with our clients, the developers and redevelopers that are out there? If they're not highly motivated, I can't even describe the level of ineptitude. The tax situation will become the crisis that will be front and foremost as we get out of this. The, the hole we've dug, the reality is, is everyone's going to be hurting. If it weren't for some of the problems I've seen in the cannabis industry, for example, in California, finding a way to turn a profit, I would, I would advise people to invest in that because when this is all over, I don't think you're going to have a single state that won't see the potential for that tax revenue and jump on that. I think that'll be one of the strange changes that come out of this. You know, there's all these weird changes that come out of pandemics. Uh, The Enlightenment really was a response after the Black Plague. And most of what we think of, just take for granted for simple sanitation like sewers that came out of that I, i think this will spur that and you know it's just it's just hard to sound too optimistic when when things are so dire you know uh nobody wants to be a pollyanna it's 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 rough and it's particularly rough for a whole lot of retail um that said i would invest also in those categories that were killing it with consumers, 
that were very much driven by small businesses, that the only reason they didn't make it through this is because they didn't have deep enough pockets. Uh, whether we're talking restaurants, uh, socially driven concepts, entertainment, I mean, Punchbowl Social already went down and that was the hottest, cool concept coming up the last year and a half. All of that stuff. I mean, imagine if when we get to a new normal, all those millennials and Gen Z, do you think they're going to shy away from craving even more social interaction than they wanted before? Not on your life. No, I'm going to join them. Yeah. <laughs> so I think socially driven concepts, they, you know, they've been handcuffed and beaten badly by this, but this is only going to increase the demand for that on, on the backside, the challenge is, is that's going to have to be rebuilt. And uh, that's also where I see immense opportunities, uh, especially, you know, uh, if, if, if someone can get in and, and possibly even keep some of the, the, the great concepts that we had going alive, I, I think that you'll see all sorts of partnership opportunities available uh, for for really uh, well below what market would have been in any in any case, there'll definitely be a, a readjustment of values. That's for sure, and valuations, I should say. Garrick, did- well, I think values too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me I, about it. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against uh, a couple of things happening, like uh, a, a renewed emphasis on family would be a positive. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot more family-friendly type concepts that in the new COVID world would do really well. Garrick, that was fantastic. Thank you for taking the time to share this information with us. Thanks for having me. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into Breaking Ground. Join us for our next podcast episode or visit EisnerAmper.com. Thank you.